So now I'm a little long-winded. Let's go ahead and bring in our first guest, our only guest for today's show, and that's Thomas Watson. He is the host of Loaded and Rolling on FreightWaves. So welcome in, Thomas. I've been meaning to have this interview with you for a while. Pleasure to be on, Blythe. Thanks so much for having me on as well. Super excited as well just to you know be on the show and just talk a little bit about some of the fun aspects of trucking. There's a lot going on. Heck yeah. So so before we get into all that, before we get into you know all the industry topics that are going on, give us a little bit of insight on how you got into the world of freight and then eventually started working at FreightWaves. I'd say accidentally. Uh, the funny thing about trucking, how I started, no one ever goes in kindergarten and says, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a trucking dispatcher, you know, astronaut or something more fun. So I'm out of college, working a job. Uh, the person I was was like, you should try to apply for U.S. Express. So I put in and I start as a weekend dispatcher. We're talking 12-hour shifts, 300 trucks, nonstop calls, 150 calls a day, and just getting your teeth kicked in. So uh, that was my first foray, uh, managing trucks on the weekend. Did that for a year, and then I realized, well, I know I'm, I'm decent enough, and the, the weekday people picked me up, decided to manage teams. So I had 55 uh, drivers, about uh, 55 trucks, about 150 100 to 150 drivers, depends on, because they split. Teams are chaotic. Uh, Putting two drivers together, angry truck drivers, it's wild. Do that for about a year, become a load planner. So I thought to myself, well, I'll finally assign trucks to loads. Pretty fun gig, did that for a year, got promoted to a freight analyst. My corporate experience, by the way, has been the Dilbert principle. Just be good enough to move up. You're not careful, you get stuck. So do a load planning, become a freight analyst, and eventually, uh, in my ripe old age of like early 20s, uh, by mid twenties, I become the truckload network design manager. I was the one craziest person that they put in charge of helping optimize their OTR network within US Express. So spreadsheets. You imagine the matrix you see, or the grid in Tron. Well, imagine that with truckload volumes and lanes. So a lot of what you do is you're you're trying to optimize and figure out how to put all these loads to work. You know, seven thousand loads per week was what that what they would chew through at the time years ago, and uh, it was wild. So. That was the quick part. Five years in trucking, two years as a broker. Uh, went with Arrive Logistics, started as a carrier rep, uh, slumming it up on the phones. It was extremely wild and humbling experience. I'm not good at sales. Then I got promoted <laughs> to uh, account executive for operations. And so I got to see the area of a broker where you're working with a customer and the nitty gritty. And it turns out that there's a lot of drama when you try to book carriers. Brokers get mad if you don't pick theirs. Turns out you have to make money off the difference. So it was always a fun time. Finally, uh, get laid off with the pandemic and I become a consultant because I just knew too much now. And then I start, I'm the first person hired at Trucking Tech Startup AI Fleet, one of their first full-time people out of Austin, Texas. And so I did that before coming to Freight Waves. So finally, I'm rambling a little bit. Uh, I, I'm scrolling around, working at a startup. You get your teeth kicked in, but you're doing great work, uh, obviously. And I see this role called Enterprise Trucking Expert. And I thought, well, I know about trucking. I've worked at a very large one and I helped start one. And so uh, put in for the job, interviewed by JP and a few people, and the rest is history. That's a, an amazing story because, I mean, obviously you you have cut your teeth in a variety of different roles within freight. So it gives you a really unique perspective on the entire landscape of what's going on in supply chain now. And it's safe to say it's kind of a mess. Um, has it always been this messy or is there just more media attention on it? I would say it's always been chaos. Now, Chaos in scale. Uh, you know, all, all of these jobs handle exceptions. 80-20 rule. 20% of the loads are messed up. 80% of them, we don't have problems. Pandemic hits. 
you go to maybe like a 30 or 40% of stuff is messed up now. And that's where we're starting to see all this media attention because there's too much going on. Uh, the job has always been stressful. It's always been an if then do this. But, uh, you know, coming with the pandemic, the rise, the fall, the inflation, we laugh, we cry, we buy, you know, there's been so much going on that it's in the limelight because now we see the disruptions on a system that was really designed uh, running razor thin in terms of wiggle room. And so when you talk about re- that, those different systems, what we've kind of had in you know, sort of the national, I guess, microscope that's, you know, happening this week, we have the port workers that are on the West Coast that are threatening to strike, I believe. And then we, have, of course, have the rail strike that was nearly avoided. How are all of these sort of strikes, what is the crux of these strikes coming to fruition? Is it, is it more on the port workers just finding the time to finally be able to demand that the, the wages that they feel like they deserve? Or is, there, is it much more nuanced to each of these situations? I would say, you know, the supply chain was running as it was uh, before the pandemic. But when the pandemic hit, it put into perspective the sheer volume. You get a whiplash effect. It went from, holy cow, the sky is falling. Now I'm having to collect unemployment because my brokerage laid me off. Ironic story. My brokerage then gets their butt kicked by December of that year because everything whipsaws back. And that hits all points of the supply chain. What we're seeing right now with labor is they've realized I went from basically potentially losing my job, real people get furloughed, there were cuts. uh, And then now all of a sudden you need me. Now you're overworking me. And then, hey, this is not very fun. I'm getting my teeth kicked in. I have an opportunity with the great resignation, people switching jobs, all this. It's a kind of a perfect storm that the pandemic created. And we're seeing the lingering effects of these decisions. Port workers, uh, a great statistic. The reason the ports are trying to haggle the way they are, the technology, this freight took we talk about, to put in perspective, in Britain, which is also having problems with Liverpool and other ports, between 1961 and 2001, the number of people employed in the dock industry, talking about longshoremen and dock workers, declined 72%. So the dock industry itself lost nearly three quarters of their people before we talked about all these problems. Dock workers declined by over 90%. The reason we see labor digging in right now, one, there's not many of them left because of automation. And two, you know, they kind of are seeing the direction it's going. So, you know, you're trying to survive in this situation. How do you work with this technology while also keeping your jobs? Because it used to be before containerization, which has been causing our rail and intermodal problems and our port problems, we had to do things by hand. So it's this perfect storm to kind of summarize to where each group of the supply chain realizes, I have more power now. I may not have this power later, Let's do midterms are coming up. Let's do something. And so we've seen a lot of those discussions, especially at the forefront this week with the rail strike, you know, hearing from workers that all they simply want is normal hours, you know, regular pay. I, I was listening to, to, to one rail executive that talked about how their, their per diem for meals, the national average or what the IRS suggests is that you get $60 per day and they are still, they haven't gotten increases in their per diem for meals when they're away from home. It's still currently sitting at $12. It has not been increased since the early 90s. So these don't feel like unrealistic, you know, asks that these workers are, are, are trying to strive for. Can you give us, I guess, an eagle eye view of where you think the, the rail efforts are now? Because we've averted the strike, but there's also, you know, sort of the theory that this could still, you know, be an issue two months from now when the cooling off period is complete. Do I, do I have that summary kind of right or am I completely wrong? I think you're right on that. We're not out of the woods just yet. We saw the leaders of the unions, they're making tentative deals. 
this has to be ratified by the rank and file. These union folks have to take their, you know, they have to vote on this. So, you know, if they don't feel they're getting a good deal and stuff as reasonable as give me more per diem, as well as let me have more time off or sick days, you know, these are these are situations where it's a quality of life issue that if they don't feel they're getting it good enough, they're just going to go on strike anyway. Our public has been very, very lucky that for the longest period of time prior to the pandemic, if you had problems, you used to be replaced. Labor was plentiful. The job was viewed as stable. You could be a lifer. You could get a pension. Uh, now with competition for labor, labor is starting to exert it. We've had issues with uh, you know, immigration policies and other things have meant that the pool of labor coming in the U.S. that traditionally keeps wages down has lowered in a sense. So this is something that I think we're going to see more of because it's getting tougher. The pandemic put so much stress on people that a lot of people exited and they're already operating short staff. So it's it's a lot of factors in terms of staffing. I need more people. And finally, the problem was, uh, you know, not to point fingers, but it's rough on all sides. Not only was labor who were rail workers getting hosed, the executives were hosed too. Precision rail uh, techniques and stuff, PGM, that they're utilizing focused so much more on doing more with less that you're backed in a corner. Let's say you decide to have a buffer in your publicly traded rail. You may get your board, get, you, may, you may get bought out by somebody. There's so much pressure from investors as well because rail was viewed as making good money. But if you decide to purposefully lower your margins, people would be you know, uh, crying, uh, crying Bloody Mary or something in the streets, basically, on Wall Street. Yeah, it, it sounds like just a, a, a situation where it's almost kind of similar to what the airlines have done with their workforce. And they furloughed a lot of people, a lot of pilots, and now they're facing a pilot shortage that they created themselves. Is that kind of a safe assumption of what's going on in rail? And just rail is kind of refusing to hire more and, and train more people to come into the industry? Well, I think it's definitely between a rock and a hard place. We saw in the past years prior leading up to the pandemic, there were cuts in rail head counts by upwards of 20%. They let people go. They're working with less. And so uh, with the airlines, it's a sim- it takes a while to become a conductor, just like it takes a while to become a pilot. And so we're seeing this similar situation where the government's mandating you can make so much amount of money. You have to deal with government regulations, but you also have to deal with profitability, private investment, and the people that you're hiring. So it was definitely something where uh, it was a great idea until the system got overwhelmed. Both airlines and rails were used to operating lean. And once that leanness was stretched beyond its limits, we're seeing rubber banding effect where a lot of the labor and people they used to have are quitting. They're going to work jobs. Literally, I heard they're going to construction jobs and other ones just because they can get home every night. You have a fundamental problem if you're treating your people that way and they don't want to work the job. Therefore, you have to either raise the benefits or raise other things to make it more attractive because it's more competitive in other jobs. Other jobs have caught up, basically. Well said. And, and and switching gears a little bit to the trucking side of things, because trucking was going to be severely impacted if the rail strike would have actually happened. But because you, you've spent so much time in, in, you know, from the enterprise level to at a startup within trucking and your host of, of Loaded and Rolling, which focuses on enterprise level fleets, what technology advancements are you seeing happening at the enterprise level that maybe some of these smaller companies can kind of use it as a way to, to gain an edge, gain a competitive edge on, on some of their competitors that are a little, you know, I think it's like 90% of the, the trucks in this country are, are seven trucks or less, or seven trucking companies have seven trucks or less. Think of it like a Charles Dickens novel, A Tale of Two Cities, but instead A Tale of Two Carriers. Your largest enterprise trucking uh, companies have had automation in forms of uh, check calls and geofencing and stuff. This technology has been around for like 15, 20 years. Smaller carriers are still in the Stone Age, while larger carriers are in the Space Age. So the biggest goal right now for anybody who has those five to seven trucks or two or three trucks is basically 
trying to catch up with all the automation. There's so much more technology with Freight Tech now in terms of automating, finding my log problems, helping me find loads with digital load boards, helping me manage my maintenance and stuff uh, with digital maintenance stuff. That automating the back office is something that smaller carriers want to do because you have to catch up to survive. You have to have visibility. Larger carriers, it's the flip side. I need to automate more, but I also need to come up with a situation where I leverage my scale by uh, being more efficient. Driving utilization. When you have 5,000 trucks and you increase each one by 100 more revenue miles per week, that is huge dividends. So, you know, it's kind of in the same way trucking still has to catch up and try to use more with less. It's so competitive that uh, having that ability will give it to you. A great example is Clayton Christensen with terms of steel mills. They, they made electric ones in the 60s and they figured out how to operate at lower margins and still make money at each step of the way. Trucking's in a similar situation. You have to use this technology now because the status quo is not working. You got to pay drivers more, your equipment costs more, your fuel costs more. Something's got to get cut and the customers are asking for less. So if you were to start a trucking company today, what software would be 100% absolutely, you know, some of the first things that you buy? Well, the fun part was I did get to start a trucking company with investment help, private investors. So that's, that's the big goal first. If you have someone who's willing to back you up, go well in on tech, automate your route planning, mm-hmm. automate everything, change the way that you fundamentally interact with the driver. You don't need everybody, one person at each department. You can train them and do more with less because you have that technology. We're talking a new business model. If I'm a small carrier and I'm just starting with my savings, I want to get a truck, but I need to, I need to basically sign up for a few load boards. Uh, things like Emerge is so powerful just because it gives people the access. Usually a Home Depot or a Procter & Gamble wouldn't even look at you unless you're sat on your MCD for like three years and you have a few hundred trucks. So trying to gain access for a small carrier, trying to figure out how to put this technology to use. Guys at LogRock are literally uh, figuring out how to do machine learning and other concepts to figure out if you've messed up your logs. If you can make your life easier on the small level, you have a chance because on the flip side, large carriers provide value at cost, but they also aren't the best at servicing. There's too much going on. Small carriers, there's your example. Oh, I'm technologically advanced, but I also have that kind of ability to be, uh, you know, service levels are higher because I know every driver by name, not by truck number. And so we, we've talked a lot about technology. The, the, the Freightways Freight Tech Top 100 was just released this week. What are some of your favors that, that have appeared on the list? Definitely. I got to pull it up here. We have literally 100. So there's a lot going on. Uh, I used Project 44 as a broker. Those guys were are pretty good. Uh, it's hard getting the carriers to do it. I remember doing, demoing Samsara while at US Express. Got a shout out to them. Uh, the the favorite ones, Torque Robotics. They have some really cool stuff going on through uh, Daimler. Getting really excited about Emerge, obviously, with the RFP stuff. Flexport has some really great stuff in terms of uh, their data, and they give like free data on what's going on in the market. And then finally, shout out to the folks at Freightvana. I love their power-only offerings. I think that's so cool. Brokerage with skin in the game. It's not asset-based carrier trying to pawn off trailers for more utilization. It's broker deciding to use car- trailers to have that asset-based feel without having to fight other you know, trucks for it. So it's really exciting. Um, I'd say one that I wish made it was my former startup AI fleet out of Austin. Uh, you know, they're kind of, they're under the radar right now, but there's going to be some great things coming out of them the next year or two. All great solutions, all great. I mean, obviously, if you make the top 100, you're probably doing something right in this space. Now, now you serve on a variety of roles within Freight Waves. What's your favorite part of the job? I think just talking to people. Uh, this supply chain is so fractured. Um, I used to joke when I worked at US Express and arrive. I just love 
getting to explain concepts. And if someone can learn something, I've done my job. This job is so complicated. Every part of the supply chain doesn't like to talk to each other. They they rarely like to share data. Even if you're in a trucking company or a brokerage, they keep it secret for some reason. And so uh, being able to talk to people and then having people give me feedback saying, hey, I didn't think about this before. This is actually important. Uh, I, I really like the value part. To me, it's like teaching. I came from a family of teachers. And so I feel like I have the best job in the world getting to talk about some of my sufferings so others hopefully don't repeat what I had to deal with. (laughs) Well, Thomas, we got a a couple more questions. So uh, favorite supply chain fact, and then where can folks follow you so that they can learn more uh, about everything that's up in that brain of yours? Favorite ones were 70% of all goods were on like road transportation. I think we're up to like $800 billion now. I, I think that people really didn't pay attention to how important it was for trucking and how lucky we are to not only have people willing to go out on the road for three to four weeks. It's Driver Appreciation Week, by the way. So shout out to everybody who's out there. You know, we take it for granted that there are people who are willing. If you look at my room here, this is actually very much larger than the inside of a cab. Let's take this by a third, actually. We can probably box this out. And you live in that. You have barely enough room. You're stuck at truck stops. You're eating all this, you know, packaged food. You got to pay to go to the bathroom sometimes. You got to pay for a shower sometimes. Like, just, it's so phenomenal and so crazy to think that this underrepresented part of the supply chain literally is like the circulatory system of our economy. 100%. Couldn't agree more. Now, where can folks follow more of your work and you know follow Loaded and Rolling, all that good stuff? Definitely. So tv.fairwaves.com slash Loaded and Rolling. Usually every Tuesday at 1 p.m., we're going to have some more folks coming on. Bi-weekly newsletter. It's like Spaceballs, Loaded and Rolling, the newsletter. So every <laughs> Wednesday night, 7.30 p.m. and Saturday at 11 a.m give you something to read on the weekend as well as not bothering you during the middle of the week. But definitely recommend people give it a subscribe, check it out. I'm sometimes active on LinkedIn and then uh, I'll be on Sirius every once in a while, either with Grace or actually getting to host it. So uh, I get around a little bit. Yeah, yeah, it's all good stuff because like I said, you have a wealth of knowledge in that brain of yours. So I love having these conversations. I wish we had more time, but appreciate all of the work that you've been doing and all the insights that you gave to us today on all the complexities of what's going on in the world of supply chain. So appreciate your time again, Thomas, and hopefully we'll have you back on in the future. Thanks again. Absolutely. hope you enjoyed that episode of Everything is Logistics, a podcast by Digital Dispatch, where we help your company build a better website. And speaking of my company, I founded it back in 2018, but we recently streamlined our website services plans. So if you want to check out how we can help you and your marketing team build a better website and connect those ROI goals, then go visit digitaldispatch.io. You can also check out past episodes of this show and every show by hitting up the resources page on digitaldispatch.io or on everythingislogistics.com. I do some freelance content projects for select clients. And if you liked this show, then you might like some of the other content projects that I've worked on, like Cyberly, Maritime Means, and more. But until next time, I'm Blake Brumleave, and I will see you real soon. Go Jags!